You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. I would like for you to take your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read 11 verses right out of the gate. Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. And I want to read these because they will help set the course of direction for today. So Matthew chapter 21, you follow along as I read, and uh, I'll begin in verse 1. I still hear some pages turning, so I can be patient with that. I love that sound. I think I hear some fingers swiping too. So Matthew 21, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This passage sets apart uh, for us today what we would recognize as um, Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday marks the beginning of the Passion Week. But more importantly, Palm Sunday uh, marks the beginning of Jesus' journey towards the fulfillment, the reality of God's rescue plan for mankind. When Jesus rode on that donkey that day, his ultimate destination was not the city of Jerusalem. Instead, his ultimate destination was to the place of crucifixion. His eyes were focused on the cross. The Passion Week begins as, on Sunday as Jesus uh, makes his triumphal entry into the city. On Monday, um, uh, Jesus goes to the temple and he clears the temple of the money changers and the thieves and the robbers who have corrupted the temple. On Tuesday, Jesus makes his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he prays. But not only does he pray, but he begins to prophesy uh, about um, the destruction of Jerusalem. He prophesies uh, about end times, and he prophesies about his second coming. Um, It's also the day that Judas Iscariot uh, negotiated to betray Jesus. On Wednesday and on Thursday, preparations were made for the final Passover meal. But then on Friday, Jesus was tormented. He was scourged. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was nailed to a cross on the place, a hill called Calvary, the place of crucifixion. This morning, um, it would be easy to focus on the events that occurred 
during the Passion Week. Oftentimes that's what takes place on Palm Sunday in a message. But rather than reflect on the events that occurred prior to the cross, this morning I want us to take time to focus on the rescue mission of the cross as we look to the significance, as we identify the significance of the cross. It's interesting, you know, almost 2,000 years have passed, and as we look back, we see the cross much differently than those who 2,000 years ago uh, were faced with the brutality of the cross. Um, When we think of the cross, our hearts are filled with thankfulness. And when we consider the cross, there is an emotion that's stirred in our hearts that brings us to tears and causes us to be filled with peace and joy because we understand now the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ for the payment of our sins. We've been saved because of the cross uh, from the curse of sin and death. However, this was not the case for those who 2,000 years ago were forced to face and even experience the brutality of the cross. When they looked at the cross, they saw the cross as a place of execution. Again, when we see the cross, we see the cross as um, something that we cherish. We see the cross uh, with a beauty. There's a There's a beauty to be held about the cross, but this beauty was unseen by those 2,000 years ago because they saw the cross as an instrument of death in the same way that those who peered on uh, to the cross uh, sacrificed, surrendered their loved ones because they were paying the crime for their penalty. We see the cross as a solution to a personal problem, a crisis that you and I could not solve. Uh, the, 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 the crisis, the problem is, is global. It's, it's a problem with humanity. And, and humanity's problem is that we have a sin problem. Before Jesus, we had a sin problem. Um, sin, the sin problem, uh, separates mankind from God. God doesn't pull back, but because we choose sin, then we separate ourselves. We, we step back from relationship with God. Um, we have been, we cannot, we could not offer a permanent solution for our sin problem. In fact, we don't even know how to offer a temporary solution. We're just not good at that. Um, what we see, when we see the cross as a solution, uh, uh, Those 2,000 years ago saw the cross as Rome's brutal brutal, um, uh, price uh, for for execution, for for their sin. It was a place of execution. Um, Because we see the cross from the distance of centuries, I believe that it's very hard, bless you, very hard for us to understand the depth of the cross. Let me say that again. Because we see the cross from the distance of centuries, I, I believe that it's really hard for us to understand the agony that was suffered 
on the cross. Uh, of course, we know the story. We know the story of the cross. We, we talk about it on a weekly basis at church. And we, um, we love the cross. We cherish the cross. We sing songs about the cross. We wear crosses around our neck. We place multiple crosses on our walls as ornamental decorations. And, and that's all fine. There's, there's not a problem with that. I'm not saying don't do those things. But I truly believe that until we understand the depth of the suffering on the cross by Jesus Christ, it's hard to understand uh, the, the significance, the reality of the cross and what the cross did for us. So with that in mind, uh, before we address the question this morning of why the cross, I want to spend a few minutes painting a picture of the agony that Jesus suffered on the cross. You say, well, don't you typically do that on Good Friday? We're going to do that on Good Friday. In fact, I hope that you will plan on joining us uh, Friday at the Cornelius campus at 7 p.m. And we're going to spend time reflecting on the cross. But this morning, if we're going to really talk about the rescue mission of the cross, I, I want to paint a picture of the agony that Jesus suffered, not only on the cross, but just before he went to the cross. So uh, let's look at the agony that Jesus suffered just before the cross. After the Passover meal and before his betrayal, um, he prayed in the garden. And as he prayed in the garden, because of the anticipation of the agony that he knew that he was going to suffer on the following day, the gospel writers tell us that he began to sweat drops of blood. This condition is known by a medical term called hematidrosis. And what happens, uh, hematidrosis occurs when severe, severe anxiety releases a chemical into the sweat glands. As that chemical is released into the sweat glands, it begins to break down the capillaries, causing there to be bleeding within the sweat glands. So what happens as the sweat begins to surface through the pores of the body, it's tinged with sweat. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. Because of the anticipation of the great stress of the coming day, Jesus was suffering hematidrosis. That he literally began to pour drops of blood out of his pores because he knew, because he was under such great stress. And then Jesus was arrested. And after Jesus was arrested, he was flogged. The hematidrosis would have caused his skin to be very fragile. Um, it would have, uh, when, the, when the Roman soldier flogged him on the following day, it would have caused his skin to be very sensitive. Uh, flogging was a very brutal means of punishment. Um, it took place with a leather whip that had multiple strands. Um, in the ends of those strands were woven small metal balls. Also in the multiple strands were woven small pieces of sharp bone. Uh, flogging usually consisted of 39 lashes. And so as the soldier would draw back with that first lash of the whip... Imagine all of those metal balls from the woven into the whip hitting on his back, and each one of them would have caused a contusion. With each additional lash, those contusions would have began to break open. And as they broke open, then those sharp pieces of bone that were woven into the whip would begin to drag across those open wounds, cutting deep down into his skin. Even before Jesus went to the cross, he suffered great agony. And then 
Jesus was taken to the place of crucifixion. Once Jesus arrived at the place of crucifixion, he would have been laid down um, on a, a cross beam. It would have been the, the horizontal cross beam of the cross that he would be on. They were separate. Uh, the vertical beam was permanently placed in the ground. He would have been uh, laid down and stre- his arms stretched out and they would have nailed, not nails, but actually spikes, large spikes would have been nailed, not in, it's believed, not into the palm of his hand, because if they were in the palm of his hand, once his weight were on the cross, it would have pulled through. Uh, so for stability, the wrist, which would be considered part of the hand, uh, the, the spikes would have been driven through his wrist, and as they went through, they would have severed the largest nerve extending out into the hand, and it would have caused the most excruciating pain. That would have happened once, and then it would have happened a second time. After being nailed to that crossbeam, Jesus would have been hoisted up. And that crossbeam, that, that horizontal crossbeam, would have been attached to the vertical pole, the vertical post that was already in the ground. Uh, So they would have hoisted him up, they would have attached the beam, and then they would have placed another spike into his feet. And as that spike went into his feet, it would have done the same thing. It would have severed a very large nerve, causing the most excruciating pain that you can imagine. It's very interesting that the word excruciating comes from a series of words in the Greek language which means out of the cross. Out of the cross, excruciating pain out of the cross. Um, Once he was in place, imagine him there. um, Because of the weight of his body, his arms would have suddenly been stretched out. And uh, they say would probably be six inches or more, causing his shoulders to be dislocated. And that would be fulfillment of Psalm 22 where he says, my bones were out of joint. So imagine him hand, hanging there like this. And suddenly, because of the positioning, what's happening is that the muscles around his diaphragm cause him to be in a continuous inhaled position. He's constantly inhaled. So in order to get breath, to exhale, it means that he would have to push up on his feet They'd have a spike, and as he would push up, that spike would tear through the flesh and the nerves of his, of his feet and the bones and the rawness of his back that has been opened by those metal balls from the lashing would be forced to drag against the wooden splinters of the cross. What would happen is that once he was on the cross, the crucifixion process has really started. What's happening is he's dying a slow death of asphyxiation. Because of being in this inhaled position, having to push up, imagine the weakness of his body. He would do that, he would do it again, and he would do it again. And he actually did this for three hours. But there came a point where he could not do it anymore, he was too weak. There was great stress on his heart. And so suddenly, in that inhaled position, he cries out and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dies.
He dies. And he did it for us. Tremendous pain. Tremendous agony. More than anything that we will ever know. And he did it because he loves us. Again, I don't think that we can understand the depth of the cross until we understand the agony of the cross. If you think about it, the cross is a paradox. What brought pain and agony and torture and rejection and death to others has brought us acceptance and gain and life. It's a paradox. What others saw as the end, because we know the entire story, we see it as a beginning. It was the beginning of life for us. But why? Why is this true? I want you to take your Bibles once again and I want you to turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 13 through 15. These verses describe well the rescue mission of the cross. Beginning in verse 13, it says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, listen to this, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We were spiritually dead. And the cross brought life. We were slaves to sin. And the cross brought freedom. We were separated from God. And the cross brought reconciliation to God. We could not save ourselves, but through the work of the cross, God provided salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the significance of the cross. So with that, let's answer the question, why the cross? What's the significance of the cross? What should I see when I look at the cross? Well, to begin with, when we look at the cross, we should see the cross as a place where God's love is revealed. The cross is a place of love. Again, it's a paradox, but the cross is a place of love. We think of passages of Scripture like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Where did he give him? He gave him on the cross. That love was expressed on the cross. A few weeks ago, we looked several times at Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where did he die? He died on the cross. God's love was revealed through the cross. It may appear that the Roman soldiers um, caused Jesus to go to the cross. And it may appear that the nails held Jesus to the cross, but neither of those are true. Jesus was on the cross because he loved us. 
It's, it's that simple. It was love, the love of God that held Jesus to the cross. Richard Foster, I believe this is in your notes. I love what he says. Love, not anger, brought Jesus to the cross. Jesus knew that by his vicarious, his substitutionary suffering, he could actually absorb all the evil of humanity and heal it, forgive it, and redeem it. When we look at the cross, we should see that the cross is a place of substitution where sin is atoned for. To atone for simply means to cover or to resolve a debt, to to put a debt to the end. And that's what happened when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. That literally meant the debt is canceled and has been paid in full. It's been paid in full. In other words, an atonement has taken place. I want to read you a passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, there was a great exchange that happened on the cross. Jesus went to the cross and He paid the price for us. He he did what we should have had to do for ourselves. And He became our sin, and we instead became His righteousness. We are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Martin Luther describes it this way. This is the mystery of the riches of divine grace for sinners. For by a wonderful exchange, our sins are now not ours, but Christ's. And Christ's righteousness is not Christ, but ours. Again, there was a great exchange that took place. Our sin was atoned for. When we look at the cross, we should see that the cross is a place where Satan and death are defeated. We do have an enemy. His name is Satan. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And his goal is to bring death. But here's the deal. Because of the cross and the burial and the resurrection, he has been defeated. Death has lost. It's not possible for death to win because of what Jesus Christ is the one. Through the death of Jesus, Satan, the one who held the power of death, was defeated. The death of death through the death of Jesus Christ is victory for all who believe. Listen, the death of death through Jesus Christ, is victory for us. And next Sunday when we come together, we're going to celebrate that victory because it began at the cross. There are two passages of Scripture in your notes I'd like for you to read with me. The first is um, Colossians 2.15. I think they maybe they'll come up on the screens if they're not in your notes. Colossians 2.15. Are you ready? Let's go. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. First John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. There is not a plan that our enemy can have against you today because he still makes plans that will ever win. There is nothing impossible for God. It's as we sang this morning, there's no mountain too big. There's nothing that can keep us from the victory that we already have through Jesus Christ. It is finished. And finally, when we look at the cross, we should see that the cross was a place of torment that brought us peace. That's the paradox. It was a, it was a place of torment 
Jesus was tormented, but because of His willingness to be tormented for our sins, we now have peace. We have been reconciled with God. Would you read with me Romans 5.1? It's there in your notes. You ready? Let's go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 4, 7. You ready? Let's go. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace doesn't really logically make sense. It doesn't make sense that another person could die in my place, and now I am right with God, and I have this peace within. But we get to live it out every day. It's the reality. Because of the cross, we can be at peace with God, and we can live with the peace of God. This is the significance of the cross. But to understand the significance of the cross, it's necessary that we see the agony of the cross. But the story doesn't stop there. We know that Jesus was buried and on the third day, death could not hold him down. Death could not hold him down. And sin was defeated because up from the grave he arose. He is risen. He does not remain on the cross. We don't serve a God who is still on the cross. He didn't get stuck there. But he finished out his rescue mission. He died for us. I want to ask you to stand this morning as we close. As I was preparing this week, and this often happens to me, you know, I grew up in a little Southern Baptist church, and I know just about every hymn, first, second, and fourth verse, right? We don't sing the third verse. I don't know why they put it there, but if they put it, didn't put it there, we just have to sing the first and the second. And so there were a myriad of songs that were going through my mind about the cross, just great songs. But this is the one that I that stood out the most. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. We're going to sing that again. Obviously, most of you know it, but if some of you maybe didn't grow up in church, just join in. It's easy to sing. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I receive my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you were so willing to give your son for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to suffer the agony and the brutality of the cross. Thank you that you took our place. Thank you for the great exchange that happened. Father God, um, I pray that we never, never take for granted the work of the cross. Instead, I ask that you renew it in us in a brand new way today, that we would be 
so aware of the price that was paid for our salvation so that we could be the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ and be reconciled to our Father. That our sin problem has been taken care of. I pray that we would rejoice in that so much, Father God, every day of our lives. And Father God, if there is one person here today who has never experienced relationship with you because of the work of the cross, your death, your your resurrection, I pray that this would be the day that they would come into relationship with you, that they would know you in a brand new way. Father God, I ask that it would happen even right now. Father God, we offer ourselves to you and we're going to go out of this place. We remember the cross, but we're going to celebrate the victory that we have through the cross of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks, praise, glory, and honor today. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.